Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you once again to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here exclusively on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue profiling those outstanding authors and publishers with connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. I am your host, Elliot Parker. We are coming to you from just on the outskirts of the campus at the University of Mississippi in Oxford, Mississippi. So we're delighted to uh, be uh, near campus as we bring you each and every one of these episodes of Now Appalachia. And we continue to interview and profile these great authors and publishers with those Appalachian connections. And we have another great uh, Appalachian author with us today to talk to us about his debut short story collection. His name is Tyler Barton and his short story collection is Eternal Night at the Nature Museum. And Tyler Barton joins us He's a literary advocate and co-founder of Fear No Lit, home of the Submerging Writer Fellowship. His fiction has appeared in the Iowa Review, Gulf Coast, Subtropics, and elsewhere. He's earned honors from the Kenyon Review, the Chicago Review of Books, Phoebe Journal, Best of the Net, and Best Small Fictions in 2020. His collection of flash fiction called The Quiet Part Loud was published by Split Lip Press in 2019, and he currently lives in the Adirondacks in New York after spending uh, several years living in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So we're delighted to have uh, author Tyler Barton with us today to talk to us about this outstanding short story collection. So Tyler, really great to have you on the program. Uh, Welcome to Now Appalachia. Good to have you with us. Thanks so much, Elliot. This is really a pleasure. Uh, I'm excited to talk about the book, and um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure to have you on the program. And so, I wanted to ask you one question about your short story collection because there's 20 stories uh, in your collection, and I wanted to ask you about getting those stories together and sort of putting them together. At, at what point did you feel like in writing these stories that you had a collection uh, on hand and did you write some of the stories with the anticipation or the goal of creating a collection out of them? How did all that process go and come together in terms of deciding I've got these 20 stories and this is what I think is going to comprise my collection? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I wish that I had like kind of an easy answer for it. I actually wish going back that I had kind of planned my story collection out as you posited, because I spent a lot of time um, sifting through stories that I had written over the last six years, seven years, and um, trying to decide what to put together for a collection. I've always, from the get-go of being interested in books, I've always loved story collections ever since I was a high schooler. And I read uh, a story collection called Miguel Street by V.S. Naipaul at the uh, urging of a teacher that liked some of my writing. I've just always been enamored by story collections. I love to see what uh, authors, all the different things that authors can do with a story. So I love to see them working in different modes and and um, styles and um, types of stories. And so that's reflected a bit in the stories I ended up choosing. I really wanted to show um, 
the breadth of my voice. So as a writer, so uh, I think my voice comes through in all the stories, but uh, I really wanted to show the different ways that uh, I've written stories over the last few years. So some stories appear very different uh, on the page than the ones before. So everything from writing in different tenses, but also writing in odd forms. Like there's a story that's in quasi written like a police report. Um, there's some stories that are more feel like poems and um, also stories that are more like lists or fragmented or hybrid. Um, so I, one thing in putting the stories together is I really wanted to show a lot of different types of stories, but I also just wanted to lead with the best ones that I had written, which ended up um, causing the biggest problem with trying to find like a theme that tied the stories together. So I'll admit that the book was not conceived as sitting down and thinking, I want to write a book about home. I want to write a book, write a book about the question of whether to stay and go. I want to write a book about liminal spaces. I didn't, I don't ever start from ideas or themes or concepts and try to play them out in a story. I always start very granular. I start with a detail or with a sentence, or usually with the sound of a voice, a voice that I hear from either it pops into my head or it's some overheard piece of language. And I just go from there and see where the story ends up. So it's a fun way to write. I think it's a very intuitional way to write, but what it means is that I end up with a ton of stories that are one unfinished. And then the ones that are finished, they're all, each one of them is pretty different and unique in size, shape, style, voice. And so that presented a bit of a challenge, but um, I basically went through six drafts of this book, rearranging stories, taking stories out, putting new ones in over the last three years. And even up till last year, when we were finishing the book with my editor at Saraband, I added a story really late in the game and took one out really late in the game. So I guess you could say I'm a bit um, kind of all over the place as a short story writer right now, but uh, in a mix for a big mess, but it is, it's fun. It's a fun way to put things together. I think I've, uh, there's a lot of joy that went into this book. So. Well, that's great. That's great. And yeah. you mentioned unique and, and funny. And I think those are two things that we see pop up in a lot of these stories in terms of sort of a thematic thread that connects a lot of these stories. And the fact that you give us these protagonists in a lot of your stories who are, who are kind of offbeat, uh, yeah. that they're kind of oddballs or they would be considered outsiders to most readers. But right. one of the things I, I really like about what you do with that, though, is um, all of your protagonists are kind of facing sort of a battle, sort of an uphill challenge that they're trying to overcome. But as we kind of watch their plights unfold, you tinge a lot of this with humor and you lose, you use a little bit of, uh, of humor in all of your stories um, that, that kind of makes these, these weird and wild situations they're in uh, more relatable and palpable for a reader. And I just wanted to ask you that question too, about stylistically about injecting humor, because we've had a lot of writers on the program that talk about how difficult it is to infuse novels or stories or poems with humor, but you do it so well in all of your stories. And I'm just wondering, uh, from a stylistic perspective, is that something that you set out to do with all of these stories? Or is it just something that kind of popped into the, the text itself as you were writing? Because that's just a kind of a part of your personality or how you see creating uh, fiction, that, that there needs to be some, some humor into it to kind of lighten the brevity of the situation. Yeah, um, I, I am humor forward as a writer. I, I usually start with what entertains me and what entertains me so often is um, things I find funny. And I'm very interested in remaining in the space where I'm 
creatively engaged, inspired by things I find humorous, but not that I'm laughing at, but sort of laughing with. And even a lot of the like funny details and stories that make some of these characters oddballs and weirdos and, and outside of society are details from my own life, things either about me or about friends and people I know and love. So um, they are, uh, I'm, I'm led by what my, where my interest is and my interest is in, in the ways that the world makes me laugh. And because I find that's kind of my entryway into wonder in the world is to um, find what it is that stands out or makes something kind of silly or awkward or weird or ironic. And then that's kind of my entry point into my interest in most things and kind of opens up um, the sense of wonder. So I really don't think I could write without humor. And I, I've tried to write more serious things and it's impossible for like humorous elements not to come into it. So I don't really write like setups and punchlines for jokes. I kind of wish sometimes I could write stand-up comedy, but um, I'm more interested in just how a detail can stick out and make something um, funny or weird or surprising. I also kind of have just a general fear of being boring on the page. I really have this sense always as a writer that the reader, I'm very lucky to have the readers I do, but I know that there are very few people reading fiction, especially short fiction. And I just want them to have a reason to stay with a story or stay on the page. Uh, maybe it comes from working as an editor for a while for different literary magazines as well. And just knowing what it's like to be bored by a piece of short fiction. So I have this like, uh, I think inherent fear of being boring. So that, that pushes me to always try to make things fun and funny and a little ridiculous. The last thing I'll say on this too, is that I try to write in a mode that um, I like to call, and I'm not sure, I don't think I coined this, but maybe it's a mashup of some ideas, but of uh, I try to write in a mode of ridiculous realism. So that's like uh, everything that you're reading in the story could actually happen. It, would it probably happen? Probably not for most of the story. So it's everything's a little ridiculous and like uh, maybe hovering off the ground a little bit, but uh, is all still pretty much grounded in real life. So I don't tend to, at least in this book, stray into uh, the complete absurd or anything surreal or fabulous. But so I like things to be realistic, but uh, ridiculous and, and memorable. So. Very well said. Very well said. Yes. Three stories I wanted to ask you about because sure. I, I loved them all. I loved all 20 pieces that were in this collection, but there were three that really Thanks. stuck out to me and uh, and stood out to me. And so I thought I would just read the first line because that's another uh, stylistic technique you use in a lot of your stories that I love is, is first lines. As a reader, you know, I, I'm a sucker for a good first line that pulls me in and you do that so well in a lot of your stories. So I thought I would read uh, the first line from uh, three stories in particular and then have you just kind of fill in the gaps as to what's happening in that story and what readers sure. can expect when they come across that. And I wanted to start first with Hiccups Forever, which I love that title because um, I'm someone who suffers from hiccups all the time and can never get rid of the darn things when I get them. So that yeah. immediately pulled me in. But I love how you open this story. You you open the you open it by saying, "An hour after it happened, I watched our house explode." What's going on in that story, and how does that first line play into what happens? Sure. Um, so this is a really really short story in the book, uh, "Hiccups Forever." It's about a page and a half, maybe. Uh, so that's one of the pieces in the book that would be called flash fiction or micro fiction. Uh, and in this story, 
I'm writing from like a young, um, like teen or preteen girl's perspective as she uh, is in class and actually is like past a phone underneath the table because there's a video that all of the students are watching and they're kind of like passing it around and she gets this phone and she looks and sees this video that's on YouTube of a house exploding. And um, it's a, it's video footage from a dash cam of a cop car. And the dash cam actually captures this moment when a house explodes due to a gas leak. Um, So she watches this and then has the realization as she's watching the video that it's her house. And uh, I don't think that it doesn't go into this in the story, but I think that I don't think the students even in her class, though, she's not um, friends with any of the students. She's kind of an outcast in school. They I don't think they really know that it's her house, but they're just everyone's getting a look at this video. Um, and so then the story just explores like the feelings that would go uh, that uh, uh, she experiences after this and really what it's like to live in the hotel afterward, because uh, the family is then put in a hotel by the insurance company and um, her experience of this new weird space where she's living in a hotel for a couple of days and everything she knew about her home is kind of destroyed. Her parents are fighting. Her sister is not um, kind of providing comfort for her. And this whole story, actually, there's an interesting story behind it, which is that there's like a 4,000 word version of this story. It's probably like 15 pages. There's another that's probably like six pages um, in an edit, an edit I did. I cut it that way down. And then it finally found its form by trying to start over from scratch and rewrite the story as a piece of flash fiction. Um, so it actually works really well in this really short form. I, I, I stuff a lot of those contextual details into a very short space, but I think I do it well so that it doesn't feel like... Um, that each of the details feels important, but like naturally revealed. So, um, and then it's able to end the piece in kind of a poetic place of, of going back and watching this video in reverse. And a lot of it's inspired by just seeing a YouTube video of a house explode. And I was just struck by the fact of the chance that there was like a cop car on the street, I guess, I don't know why the dash cam was on, but the dash cam was rolling and must have just been filming and it happened to be that this house exploded at the same time. I don't know who uploaded that to YouTube, but um, the video had like millions of plays. And like, I was just wondering of like, what would it be like to be the person whose house that is to see your home as kind of like this viral piece of content. Um, So yeah, it it was a very inspiring, subject to write about. And I wrote, there's so many like scenes in this and a lot about the family living in the hotel, but really I was able to rewrite the thing and capture it all in about, I think it clocks in at a little over 300 words, which is about a page of writing. So um, yeah, I'm really, I really love this story. It's a great story. One of my yeah. favorites. And Thanks. another one I wanted to ask you about uh, with another great title called Spit, If You Call It Fear. Um, and the narrator of this story says something that really stood out to me. He says, he's my brother and I love him, but Jesus, I won't miss him. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad you brought this story up. This is one that I really love, but also I almost convinced myself to take it out of the collection at one point. And I think maybe even one of the drafts of the collection didn't have it in. And then I put it back in later, but, um, yeah, so spit, if you call it fear, is a story that's really fits well into the book thematically because the book is so much about um, home 
to put it to one word, the book is a book about home. It's either about a character looking for a new home as in the first story where a man ends up kind of homeless and needs to find a home uh, or your house explodes or in the case of um, the characters in Spit If You Call It Fear, they're dealing with whether or not to remain in their home or to leave it. And some of the other stories in the book are also dealing with that, this decision to stay or go. And the character is in Spit If You Call It Fear. I know the brother's name is Waylon. I think the protagonist's name is Greg. Yes, I think that's right. Okay, great. I should have known that, <laughs> but just wanted to check. Um, so Greg is like, live it. he's a, in his late 30s and he's um, still living near like Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, uh, which is close to where I grew up in Southern Pennsylvania. I grew up in York County, so not quite Gettysburg, but uh, I knew Gettysburg well because I used to race go-karts there every Saturday. And I met a lot of people who lived in the Gettysburg area. So this is set a, a character who's considering leaving Gettysburg. Uh, he works at a pizza shop. But the thing that's keeping him there is he has a brother who's like uh, a little bit on the spectrum, but also... Um, just really a believer in, in conspiracy theories and kind of invents his own conspiracy theories that don't really track and explore some of those a little bit in the beginning of the story. Um, but the brother is, uh, it's questionable whether or not he's well enough to live without somebody kind of checking up on him. And their mother is older as well. The kids were born kind of late and the mother is in an assisted living facility. So um there is not really a support system for Waylon, uh, Waylon, who is Greg's brother. And Greg is trying to decide whether or not Waylon is okay enough for him to move completely across the country to Alaska uh, and work on this, um, like a fishing barge, basically. Um, so I had a friend in right when they graduated high school who went and did one of these trips on a fishing rig in um, Alaska. And it completely changed his life. I mean, it was like, he didn't go to college he, like I did. He went to this uh, to work on this rig for, I think, six months. But then it was he went back for another six months. And in between the, the, those seasons, just lived in Alaska and kind of explored around and hiked and learned to live outside and live this very um, uh, back to the land wilderness kind of lifestyle that I found very romantic in a way, but knew that I also could never really do. So a lot of times I end up writing about things that I either some part of me would like to do, but, but I don't want to take the chance to do it. You know, I do like my life. I don't need to completely change it and move across the country, but you know, part of your mind is always restless to an extent. You wonder what if, so I, I kind of deal with those flights of fancy by writing about them, but I also write about what scares me too. And, you know, the idea of home scares me to an extent because, you know, I don't, I don't own my own house and my parents don't own their homes and uh, our family's kind of fragmented. So there's always this question of like, what is home and where will I end up and what will happen, you know, if there's a global pandemic and everybody's returning, <laughs> everyone goes home to live with their parents, but, you know, I don't really have that option. And so these like anxieties, like in the back of my brain that maybe I don't even know that I'm working out, end up coming out in the stories that are about um, you know, just because I was born here, should I stay here? Is there a reason to leave? And, and also is leaving just a running away or is it healthy in some way? So these stories explore a lot of those questions and that's what Greg's dealing with. So mostly the entire story spit of you call it fear is Greg trying to decide whether or not he should take this opportunity to go to Alaska. And he's on kind of one last adventure with his brother Waylon as Waylon goes 
to meet another person who's equally um, like kind of a prepper for the end of the world. And the question is whether or not uh, Waylon's going to be okay. But I, and if Greg knows it or not, he's kind of wondering if he's going to be okay without the support system that he has here in uh, Gettysburg, even though it seems like a burden to him, his brother and his mother in some ways, they are kind of his home. So now he's realizing he has to leave this um, to change. So yeah, I'm really glad you brought that story up. It's um, uh, it's a really fun, it's, it was so much fun to write and uh, reminds me so much of where I grew up. So yeah. Tyler Barton is our guest here today on Now Appalachia. We're speaking with him about his new story collection, Eternal Night at the Nature Museum, published by Saraband Books. And we'll talk more about that here in just a second. But Tyler, you were talking about uh, growing up uh, sort of outside uh, of Gettysburg and, and that part of Pennsylvania. I know you recently have made a move from Pennsylvania. You you were lived around that area, spent some years in Lancaster. Now you've moved to the Adirondacks up in mm-hmm. uh, upstate New York. What what caused the move? What took you to the Adirondacks? And what are you up to professionally up there? You've got a really cool uh, creative uh, project that you're kind of overseeing as the communications manager. So what, what's going on up in the Adirondacks? What brought you up there or took you up there? Yeah, um, so just in July of this year in 2021, I applied to a job at the Adirondack Center for Writing, which is based in Saranac Lake, New York. Uh, it's kind of the high peaks region of the Adirondacks, which is a you know, a park at the top of um, New York state. And we're uh, not far from Lake Placid. That's kind of what orients people a bit. Um, I learned of the Adirondack Center for Writing actually relates to this book really nicely. I went to a writing residency, excuse me. I went to a writing residency in 2018 that the Adirondack Center for Writing put on. Um, It's called the Anne LaVestiel Memorial Writers Residency. And Excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> Basically, this is a residency for six writers um, that the organization runs, and three of them are they uh, three writers that live in the Adirondacks and three from outside, and they all stay in a lodge on a lake for two weeks and write. And it was just such an incredible opportunity. I really fell in love with not only the being in the woods here in the Adirondacks, but also with the organization and learning more from being in at that residency about everything that ACW, uh, Adirondack Center for Writing, ACW, what we do. Now I can call us we, but at that time it was just, I was just learning about it. And then um, two years later, as my book was coming out, which I worked on that, I worked on rearranging the stories and editing many of the stories in this book, including Spit If You Call It Fear at that uh, writing residency in 2018. So I um, owed a lot to that residency. It's kind of like where my book found its form. And um, as the book was coming out, I reached out to them and said, hey, I'd love to do a reading or something. And they said, why don't you teach a class for us? So I taught a class this summer in flash fiction. And while I was teaching the class, they posted a job for a communications manager. And um, my wife and I were both were, I think, made a little bit restless by the pandemic. And we were kind of wondering if we wanted to try living somewhere more remote um, than, you know, Lancaster is not a big city. But for me, growing up in the country, it, it was always a big city. And 
though I loved living in Lancaster, I think it was time for just to try something new. So I applied to the job and I got it. So now I work as the communications manager for the Adirondack Center for Writing, which is based in Saranac Lake, New York. And we do um, programs for writers of all ages and all over the Adirondack. So we're just trying to serve writers here in uh, the Adirondack region. So we do uh, story slams that kind of um, go all over. So we go to different towns to do story slams. Uh, we run a, a prison writing program. Uh, we're starting to do uh, writing workshops with the elderly in uh, assisted care facilities uh, and creative aging programs. And we also have a long running high school writing program uh, called the High School Writers Retreat. Uh, besides that, there's just like online classes, there's readings, there's different uh, awards and things to support Adirondack writers. So um, I've just always really loved the literary arts. It's what gave me my passion uh, in college, I learned, I started a writing club with my friends. And ever since then, I've just like wanted to work for in some way doing literary programming. And um, I was able to do that uh, with this job. And I had previously worked in um, colleges and uh, museums doing programming, always quasi educational things. But um, so now I'm taking that, that kind of programming skills and communication skills I've built and putting it towards what I love, which is reading and writing. So I'm really lucky to have the job and it's going great so far. Well, it sounds like you've got a great thing going on up there with a lot of different outreach opportunities and really a lot of ways for people, as you mentioned, in the Adirondack area and the neighborhoods and towns up there to get involved and stay involved with writing and reading. So all the best sure. of luck to you in that. It sounds like I've got a lot going on up there, a lot a lot, lot going on, a lot of things that are growing and a lot of really cool stuff happening. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, exactly. I want to ask you about Saraband Books because, you know, I, we talked about this before we started uh, recording our interview that, that I've discovered so many great writers and so many great books over the years from reading uh, what they have published. But I know they're a little um, non-traditional or unconventional in terms of the way they accept manuscripts. While you don't necessarily have to have an agent this isn't really a press that you can just submit uh, anything that you've got at any time throughout the year. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you got matched up with them in terms of sending them uh, your collection of stories and, and how that relationship formed around that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Saraband has been uh, such a great press to work with. I've been a fan with them, uh, a fan of theirs for probably about seven years now. I think when I went to my first AWP in Los Angeles. Uh, AWP is a writing conference that happens annually. And there's a big book fair there. And I saw the Saraband books table. And that's when I was introduced to them. I bought a couple of copies there, or a couple of books. Um, Caitlin Horrocks's uh, first collection uh, called This Is Not Your City is probably the most memorable from that first book haul from Saraband, but also Mary Rufel, who is a poet uh, one of my favorite writers, she's a poet that lives in Vermont. She had published a, a small chapbook with Sarah Band called On Imagination. That's basically an essay um, that is talking about how to write a poem. And I really just respected what they were doing. It seems like they were publishing like really good poetry and short fiction, but also kind of weird stuff and, and really not focused on novels or memoirs, which just felt like any everything with uh anyone I would talk to about like you know getting an agent would be like well do you have a novel or do you have a memoir and it's not I, I read plenty of novels and memoirs I have nothing against them it's just not really what I write or especially when I was um sending trying to get my story collection published I was really only focused on 
short story collections and and people that were doing justice to those and they had published so many great story collections so i was excited to submit my manuscript to them through a yearly prize that they do um and it's a, a short story collection prize so they take submissions i think from probably like january to march and then in the summer they'll announce who the winner is and there might be some people on the long list and my first year submitting to them was 2019 and they i made the long list so it was like somebody's book got picked but there were three uh, I guess the short list, there were three others that were named as like finalists. And they sent me an email saying, hey, we really like this book. You should submit it again next year um, because a lot of the books that we publish actually, and this is a good thing for writers to know is like, if you submit to a contest and don't get your book in, it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't try submitting it again in, in the next years, especially if you you know make a long list or even a semi-finalist or something. So they said like, we'd love to uh, consider it again next year. And between 2019 and um, I guess I submitted in very, very early 2020, right? Um, between getting that first rejection and submitting it the second time, I did revise the book again. I gave it a new title and I kind of slimmed it down a little bit. I think it was a little too full. I probably had more pages in it. And I just focused the book more on the theme of home and even gave it an epigraph, which it didn't have before that really, I think helped to set the tone for what the book was about. And I submitted it again in 2020. And that time it did I still did not win the contest. It came in second, but they called me and said, Hey, we love this book so much. We, it didn't win the contest, but we'd love to publish it anyway, which is not something I'm certain that they do every year, but I think sometimes they will take another book uh, from the contest that even if the judge didn't end up choosing it. So my book kind of slipped in that way. And I'm very grateful because it was the coolest phone call I've ever gotten. And it's been a dream to publish with them. So yeah, I'm really grateful. We're speaking with Tyler Barton here on the program today. This is now Appalachia on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Tyler Barton is our guest. His story collection is just out from Saraband Books. It's called Eternal Night at the Nature Museum. And Tyler, I wanted to ask you about one more story that I really, sure. really liked and have you comment on that. Um, and this is titled, and I won't read the first line of this because there's so much going on kind of in it. It's hard to really pick a good, a great line out of that one, but it's called Of a Whole Body Passing Through. And this is uh, uh, <laughs> assisted living residents uh, plotting to escape the prison that they live in at, at every opportunity. Um, and... Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? And uh, what struck me about that story is that I felt like that, you know, I was reading and I feel like we, we all have prisons that we're trying to escape from, not necessarily uh -huh. maximum security jails with bars on the windows and that kind of thing. But for some of us, it's a job. Some of us, it's a relationship. Some of it is right. a town we're trying to get away from or a place we want to go to to start over. Um, and so that struck me, but, but I love the story of, of, of what's going on there as they're trying to escape this prison that they're in at every opportunity. Can you talk to us a little bit about that story and what's going on there? Sure. Um, so in uh, that's one of my favorite stories in the book. It's called Of a Whole Body, and it is um, kind of told in these little vignettes. It, it follows for a for a 13 page story. It has a lot of characters in it, so it's a little bit to taken at first, but, and each section kind of bounces to a new character's point of view. 
Um, but it's all characters who are living in this assisted living facility. And I will quibble a little bit. I don't think with, that all of the characters are trying to escape. But what I really wanted to show in this story was the um, the breadth of like experiences that can be that different people can be having about the same place. And um, I've worked in assisted living facilities doing writing workshops uh, for a number of years. And it was incredibly inspiring to meet people living there uh, who had never written before. And then when you sit them down for a writing workshop, they just have so many, so many stories to tell, so many things they want to get down. So I was very inspired by that, but there are a number of characters who are, who are unhappy with the way the place is being run. So some of the characters are trying to improve it by simply um, uh, having different language used around them or different programs offered. There is a character who is absolutely trying to escape it at, at any time and uh, others who kind of support her in her uh, her pursuits because I met I met people like that as well. But then I also met people who do really like living in in uh, uh, the the facilities that I've worked in and had kind of like found a way to make that their home and uh, to lean into, even if it's some kind of corny programs at times, like really take advantage of whatever opportunities are there to uh, to learn and to grow and to make friends. So uh, I really like that the six characters I've chosen to, to follow, um, they're each kind of dealing with living in this place a different way. One is an, a character who's very, very old and kind of has has made peace with his life and really just wants to die. I mean, it sounds kind of dark, but again, the story I think is filled with a lot of humor, but um, I think Virgil's perspective in that story is really like, I've done what I've come here to do and I'm in pain and I'm ready to go. Uh, and then there's another, another character who feels like she was kicked out of her house too early because of a mistake that she made. And she is actively always looking for exits, looking for keys to steal. Uh, and but then there are a few others who find love there and are trying to simply um, experience love with each other. And like they're, they're thwarted in different ways. So uh, I really love that. That story is uh, um, something that I hope to maybe turn into a novel someday as well. I've written many, many pages more scenes with these characters and I've stayed with them for many for a long time. But uh I've never been able to get a full draft of a, a novel about them, but I, they really haven't left my head. So I could see myself going back to that project someday too. So sounds great. Well, you, you yeah. it would be a great novel. I, th I think you've got a lot to work with in that particular story, a lot of different avenues and angles yeah. you can take in terms of developing some of that further and going more in depth with that. So Absolutely. you've got this, you've got this collection out, Eternal yeah. Night at the Nature Museum. So what are you working on next? What's in the pipeline? What are you working on? What are you thinking about? What are you uh, doing in terms of the next project coming forward? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I Last year after, actually kind of simultaneous with this book being worked on uh, in the editing stages, I was finishing a project that is um, kind of weird and niche a little bit. It is uh, all it's a book entirely of microfiction, and when we use the word microfiction, that's like stories that are under uh, two pages, usually a page long, um, sometimes as short as a paragraph. And I really like this form because I read a lot of poetry and I'm informed a lot by poets. So I love the place where fiction and poetry meet, and I try to uh, write in that space a lot. So I did this project called To Work, and it is a it's 75 little stories, and they're all characters with different jobs. All of the characters like living in the same town. So sometimes their paths cross in stories or their storylines will like 
touch tangentially, um, but uh, they're mostly independent little stories about work and it has a lot to do with um, dread and absurdity at work. So people lit working jobs they really don't wanna be in and then absurd things happening at their jobs. And it's very influenced also by um, artists and uh, speci specifically performance artists. And the whole book has an air a little bit about it of like, am I reading about a real person working a real job or is this some kind of like absurd performance art that's happening? And uh, so it's a very weird book, uh, but very fun to write. It's like the most fun I've had writing. And um, so I, I'm submitting that some places and I'm hoping to find a publisher for that. But uh, also that book's done now. So in the meantime, I'm working on a novel and uh, it's still in the big messy stages and, and nowhere close to a finished draft. But I'm really trying to give myself the time and space to finish it the right way and not rush into anything. Um, so, yeah, I wish I had like a really a, a next thing that was like ready to that was, um, you know, in the publishing pipeline to start promoting. But really, I'm kind of in a place of trying to discover something new. So. Excellent. So in yeah. our final minutes with you today, Tyler, if uh, anyone in our audience wants to get in contact with you to find out more information uh, about your short story collection, Eternal Night at the Nature Museum, or if they want to check out your flash fiction collection, The Quiet Part Loud, or just talk to you about writing in general or about your Adirondacks writing program, yeah. uh, can you? how can they get in contact with you, first of all, and then where sure. can they get copies of your books? Absolutely. So uh, my website is uh, www.tsbarton.com. So that's T-S-B-A-R-T-O-N.com. And it there you can find uh, both of my books, uh, Eternal Night at the Nature Museum, which you can order. That My website will urge you to order the book through either bookshop.org or through Sarah Band themselves. Um, and then there's also will be links to the flash chat book as well. I believe my email is also on my website. So you can go there to find my email and reach out. If you uh, have any questions, I love to connect with writers. You know, all of my friends are writers and um, it's meeting other writers and building literary community is really what inspires me to write the next thing. So I'd love to hear from anyone who's interested in talking or has any questions, but yeah, so that's tsbarton.com. And I'm also at uh, I'm also on Twitter and pretty active on Twitter at, uh, at G O F Tyler. Um, so that's G O F T Y L E R. So thanks. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's been our pleasure to have author and, uh, writing teacher and now uh, community relations specialist for the Adirondacks Writing Cooperative and organization Tyler Barton on the program with us today to talk to us about his outstanding new collection of short stories called Eternal Night at the Nature Museum published by Saraband Books. It's a collection of really funny, really surprising, and really great stories with a lot of sort of oddball protagonists that are fighting uphill battles that you're going to fall in love with every time you come across a brand new page and a brand new story. It's a wonderful collection uh, told by a, a great writer and storyteller. And Tyler, congratulations to you on the collection. It really, really terrific, really, really in interesting and inspiring and appreciate you coming on the program to talk about it. Congratulations on the book. And as you keep getting more of those works published, we'd love to have you back on to talk about those as well. So thanks so much. Thank you, Elliot. This was really a pleasure. I appreciate it. 
We want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special thanks to our executive producer of the Now Appalachia podcast program, as well as the executive producer of all the podcasts that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all the work that Pam does uh, behind the scenes to make all of these podcasts possible. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.